Hello and welcome to the Feel It to Heal It podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kelly, and I am a clinically trained therapist, emotional wellness and life coach, and healer. My mission is to help as many humans as possible feel safe to feel their feelings in order to create a life beyond their wildest dreams. Thank you for being here and let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tea Live. I am so excited to have a very special guest on this morning, Alex from Ivy Rose Moon, who just joined. Perfect timing. Look at that. So I'm going to let her in, and today we're going to be talking all about why we left the therapy world and all of the important topics. All right, let's see. There we go. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's so nice to finally connect. I know. This has been like a long time in the making. (laughs) It sure has. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, so grateful to have you on Morning Tea and just be chatting today. Likewise. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. So I thought we could start with a little grounding and then, or maybe first, if you want to just Let's see, what order? Let's do grounding, then we'll do introductions, and then we can dive in. How does that sound? Beautiful. Okay, perfect. So if we want to just set up nice and tall, closing off the eyes, and let's start by just taking a big deep breath in, just settling into this space. And exhale. Just noticing how our breath feels in this present moment. Noticing any sounds or distractions in your environment. Noticing any thoughts coming up. And as each thought comes up, we're just going to imagine placing it on a cloud in the sky, watching it float away, knowing we can always come back to it if you need to, and then coming back to the breath. And then bringing the awareness into your body, just noticing any body sensations, any areas of tension or tightness, doing a quick body scan, relaxing the brow line, your jaw, your shoulders, your heart, your chest, your abdomen, the base of your spine. Noticing any tension in your legs or toes or fingers or arms. And just sending an intentional breath into any part of the body that needs it most. And then noticing any emotions that might need to come up, any stored, stuck, old, or stagnant emotion, or any new or raw emotion, just allowing space for any and all feelings to come to the surface, knowing that you are safe to feel them. And then noticing any resistance to being in the body or to slowing down, noticing the mind wanting to pull you out of the body with thoughts. And just deepening the breath to get back in, showing your nervous system you are safe to just be still in this moment. And 
And now together, let's take three long deep breaths. You can place your hands on your heart or your abdomen or your legs, whatever feels best for you. And let's start with the first breath, inhaling all the way into the body, filling the belly with air, sending the breath through the chest to the crown of the head. Holding at the top and slowly release. And again, breathing all the way in. Holding at the top and release. And one more, breathing all the way in. Holding and slowly exhaling. Just noticing how your breath is feeling. Noticing if anything has shifted or softened or if anything new has shown up, just allowing whatever is here to be. And when you're ready, you can start to take any small organic movement, maybe some neck rolls or some side stretches or anything that your body's asking for, just gently waking the body up as we come back to the present. <sighs> How did that Thank feel? You that. You're welcome. I hope everyone's feeling nice and relaxed. <laughs> All right. So let's do some introductions. So I know we have some of your followers on here and then some of mine. So if you want to just, yeah, share anything that, you know, for anyone who might not know who you are, we'll start with that. Absolutely. So I'm Alex. I am the founder of Ivy Rose Moon, and I am a spiritual and healing mentor for women. And as Rachel shared at the beginning of this, um, I'm also a traditional therapist who has um, left the traditional therapy field and working more with women in a very different capacity. So my history as a therapist really came from a very like cognitive behavioral lineage, I mm. should say, a very skills-based evidence-based um, kind of lineage and in my own journey with mental health over a decade ago I realized that that world actually wasn't enough for me and even though I went into the traditional therapy world kind of wanting to change it from the inside out mm -hmm. I really came to the realization that I actually just wanted to step out and create a world of my own and create mm -hmm. something entirely different that was much more authentic to me and supportive to women in a different way mm -hmm. so that is kind of where I am now in a nutshell I love that and how long ago did you leave the therapy world and start your own business yeah so a year ago I guess I, I should say so I was in the traditional therapy world for about six years I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Colorado and I worked as a therapist on the world's first intensive treatment unit for eating disorders mm -hmm. and after two a little over two years of that became a clinical manager and then uh, a clinical director and was running my own hospital and about six months into that which should have been the biggest promotion you know of my life um, to have that kind of role at a pretty young age was um, pretty rare for my field and um, I left about a year ago and I went into private practice and I've slowly kind of been working my way out of private practice mm -hmm. and transitioning more full-time into Ivy Rose Moon. So it's been mm -hmm. a very interesting journey and a lot of yeah. deconditioning leaving that field. And I'm, I'm sure yeah. you can. <laughs> I can totally relate. 
Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, so for those that may not know me, I'm Rachel. I also am a clinically trained therapist, was in the therapy world up until two years ago. Um, background in many different areas, but was primarily doing uh, drug and alcohol interventions for teens and um, working at group private practices, elementary schools, just kind of bopping around trying to find a place to land. <laughs> um, and then my most recent job after I moved from New York to California was at a DBT center. And I felt like that was the closest thing of like, ooh, we're getting warmer, like something about this feels more resonant, more resonant, but something about it was still not resonant. <laughs> Um, and so it, yeah, it truly felt like just all those different experiences were leading me up to discovering, I had no idea that the online coaching healing world even existed. I didn't know it was an option to like leave and do my own thing. I thought that I had to wait to get my final license. Cause I had um, gotten my first level of licensure in New York and then was submitting paperwork for, um, my final licensure and, I was like, this is the only way that I can, I can do it. And I had no idea that I actually didn't need to go through with licensure or any of that. And, and I could just do my own thing. And I was like, wow, why didn't I learn about this sooner? <laughs> so, you know, it's yeah. so, it's so funny that you share that. I love your story. It's, and it's also so different from mine because I did find the coaching world over a decade ago. And at the time really thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. Kind of mm -hmm. as I was getting better and kind of, you know, recovering from my own struggles, it was really important to me to one heal first, because mm -hmm. I really believe in like doing the work before you can step into this role. Not that mm -hmm. we don't have things to continue to work on and heal and right. expand layers, but to be stable and regulated and have, you know, kind of that baseline and everyone told me, there's no way you can't be a coach. You're like in mm -hmm. your early twenties, no one is going to hire you. You don't know anything. You have to go oh. to school and you have to get a license and you have to go into a lot of debt and mm -hmm. you have to follow this very traditional path. Mm -hmm. And the whole time my soul was just like, I don't want to do this. It yeah. felt like just the wrong thing. And so yeah. just kind of to highlight the difference of like, even if you do know, sometimes it's, the yeah. conditioning around us, the beliefs totally. around us can be so hard to extricate ourselves from. Yeah, totally. I remember when, um, so I, I discovered the online coaching world through Amanda Francis, who I know is, is a, a mentor, of both of ours. And I will always remember her, like the part of her story where she shared that everyone in her grad school program was talking about like just kind of judging the coaching world and like, oh, you know, they, they think they can be therapists and they don't have to do any of this licensure stuff and like her brain going, oh, that's genius. Let me go do that. <laughs> and I think yes. it just highlights that when most of us, if not all of us in the therapy world are surrounded by this environment of just judging the other, right? Which I think is so symbolic of just the world we live in, right? Like judging something that's different or foreign um, and not really looking at where the root of that is, right? Uh, and I think something that you and I had talked about a lot was just how we associate this separation of fields, right? The therapy field, the coaching field, and like the therapist having judgments about the coaches and the, you know, all this stuff. And 
I think what you and I have learned being in, in both of these fields is that it it's not the field, right? It's it's the person and the people and the who's actually doing their work in integrity. Um, because as you and I have both experienced, there are unethical therapists in the therapy world and there are unethical coaches in the coaching world. And so I think it's more important to yes, look at the, you know, the whole system as a whole because there's, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot that can be improved. Um, but then also really, yeah, just holding the actual individual responsible and accountable because someone like you and I, who have been in that therapy world and, and this kind of responsibility that comes with licensure and, and all of that. And then for me, it was really releasing a lot of that need for that of like, oh, am I, is it ethical to help people without having this paper, these letters behind my name? And for me, that was a big, you know, for those that don't know, I chose to not get licensed. Um, I still have my license in New York, but that will expire at some point because I didn't get the final one. And I, I burned all my papers and I like fully committed to this business, Rachel Kelly coaching. And I think, yeah, for me, it was really trusting myself and not listening to this outside external system of saying like, you need this to be ethical because as we both know, there are plenty of people who have that thing, right. Who are still not ethical. Um, and just holding ourselves more responsible as individuals to act in integrity and practice with integrity. So yeah, I just wanted to speak on that a little because I know you and I have both experienced that a lot. Yeah, that's that's so well said. And there's so many great points in there that, you know, I think are worth expanding on because it is very interesting. I also had a similar experience to Amanda Francis. I'm curious if you had this experience in grad school as well of mm -hmm. people really talking down on life coaches. And it was mm -hmm. so interesting because I remember I, I went to a school, like I said, where that was very like cognitive behavioral in um, its tradition. Although a lot of my uh, professors were actually psychodynamic in orientation, but I went to the school where cognitive behavioral therapy was really developed. And so there was a, a strong kind of feel of science and evidence-based. Mm -hmm. And so many people in my class were like, I didn't go to school to become a life coach. Like life coaches don't know anything. They're all unethical. They're, they meet with a lot of broad brushes. Right. And it was, it was funny sitting there because I was secretly like, damn, I wish that's what I could do. Yeah. I wish that's what I could do. But I also had so much stock in this piece of paper and the credentials right. and the letters after my name and believing people around me who told me, you're not going to be taken seriously if mm. you don't have this. Right. And the truth is, to some people, I won't be taken. I wouldn't have been taken seriously. Right. Some people really value that. Yeah. Um, but to others it's really the life experience. Like you said, the integrity, the knowledge, the wisdom, our own healing mm -hmm. that matters more. Yeah. And I had a, I had an interesting experience. Um, I kind of alluded to my own mental health struggles for those who might be new to my story. I struggled with really severe depression, um, and an eating disorder in my late teens and early twenties and, um, ended up having a near death experience mm -hmm. where that completely transformed my life. And, I had to, after that, I decided to leave behind all of the traditional therapeutic methods that I had been trying to no avail for years. 
treatment mm-hmm. centers, medication, traditional therapists. Um, I got off all of my meds safely, oh. please, for the love of God, don't yeah. just stop your meds. Right. Sure safely. Is <laughs> safely is the key word. Yeah. Um, and started working with a spiritual healer and everyone thought I was bonkers. They mm. thought I had really, really lost my mind. Yeah. Um, and I got better. And that was the only way that I could have gotten better, which to me said, it's not about evidence-based versus the spiritual world or other healing modalities. Again, it's about the integrity. It's about being clear about what we have to offer and what we can't Mm -hmm. and not assuming that we're necessarily the right fit for anyone as a coach, as a therapist, as a healer, whatever capacity we're working in. And I think really, you know, just like you said, being in integrity with ourselves mm-hmm. and also just exploring the other modalities that are out there. Because what I found is that for some, but not all of the women that I've worked with over the years as a therapist, what we call mental illness isn't actually mm. mental illness. The depression, right. the anxiety, <laughs> these are more existential um, issues. Yeah. They're things that come from not following our soul's work they come from a dysregulated you know um nervous system attachment wounding like all sorts of other things and when we heal that root or address that root the symptoms then tend to dissipate and Mm -hmm. in traditional therapy we focus very much on the symptoms Mm -hmm. and then that helps someone typically a little bit and then things come back and we're like oh this person's really sick they keep relapsing but Mm -hmm. really it's a failure in the system for not addressing the root cause could not have said that better myself, like a thousand percent. It's, I mean, the amount of times that I have witnessed just, you know, like my former therapy clients just, oh, we're going to have to prescribe a different med or another med, or, you know, maybe send them off to it. It feels like it's like herding cats. It's like, let's go try this thing and then send them to this place. And, you know, it's all focused on like, how this person is presenting on paper rather than, and and at least in my experience, I don't know if, if you experience this at all, but in my experience in the therapy world, like the actual therapist who was working with the client and the actual clinician was not, was not in this position of power to make decisions around the client with the client. It was oftentimes my director or the psychiatrist on staff that were making these ultimate decisions, which I found really problematic because they're not the ones working with the client. And so Mm. I would speak up in these, you know, team meetings of like, I actually don't think that's what's best for this person. Um, Or like, you know, sometimes they would say like, basically like ending our treatment together of like, oh yeah, like time's up, we're going to send him. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm the one working with this person. Let's actually talk about it. And it it feels very powerless of like, you don't have a voice in it, no matter how hard you're trying to advocate for your clients. And so I think that's just one important part to highlight, but it's really just like you said, this overall system of not addressing what's actually happening and continuing to put band-aids and band-aids and band-aids and then people are like well why are they still relapsing or why are they you know and it's just like reinforcing this um yeah this sickness that perpetuates in our society of like normalizing these things I think about Gabramonte's book the myth of normal like normalizing these things that people just assume are 
are human things, right? And like, yes, to some extent, going through anxiety, depression, like addiction, the whole nine yards, a thousand percent are human experiences and we're not meant to live that way, right? So that's the missing piece is like, we can normalize it to really shame and stigma around mental health and normalize like, yes, we are all human. We all have these symptoms. We all have these, you know, struggles and they might show up differently person to person, but we all have something, right? And we're not actually meant to live that way. And I think our society does such a disservice of normalizing the this like perpetuating it, right? Of like, oh yeah, you, you can just be depressed forever, but it's fine because we have antidepressants and 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 great, you're set for life. And it's like, but what if what if you didn't have to live with depression anymore? Like, what if we can actually get to the root of why that's even there to begin with. And I think, you know, especially for us as therapists, this whole idea of, of just everyone putting so much weight and heaviness on the license, on the letters, on the degrees, on all the things, it speaks to a much larger issue just systematically. And just like as a whole society that we don't have trust in ourselves that we fully depend on this external thing for our worthiness, our value, our, you know, integrity rather than actually, yeah, like conditioning humans to learn how to be in integrity with themselves, learn how to trust themselves, learn how to decipher what is actually authentic for me. Because I have friends that are still in the therapy world they're doing private practice and that does feel authentic for them. I have, you know, my dad, he, my parents are both therapists. My dad runs a full private practice. He worked in a school for 30 years. He loved every, not every minute of it. That's an exact, but he loved it. And that is authentic for him, at least as far as I know, right? Like as far as he expresses that he loves it for me, private practice, it was this like, idea of okay well that seems better than this but that still doesn't light up my soul and yet everyone's telling me like that's the place to get to if you want to get out of this world right and I'm like but yeah. there, there's got to be something else and I, I really didn't know that there was so yeah, yeah just so much conditioning um, especially like you said around just the types of of healing, right? Cognitive. I was big into DBT and CBT and all these evidence-based. And that was just so heavily drawn. And it's like, but why, why is that the focus when there's so many other um, modalities that are just more holistic that actually uncover the root and involve like true soul healing, which I think is missing from most others. Exactly. And I think that that's what we need is to get back to the soul um, and to really look at, are we able to live as the fullest expression of ourselves? And if not, what is inhibiting that depression, anxiety, a lot of these other things can be symptoms of many things. They can be a result of trauma. They can, you know, kind of couple on and uh, compound on these other issues, but 
they also come from not living in alignment with who we are. Yeah. And I, I want to go back to feeling safe enough to be who we are, I should say. Right. And so I want to go back to something you said, because that you had so many beautiful points. Um, one about the importance of the piece of paper and the license mm. and what yeah. that kind of does. And it's very interesting because as much as people like traditional trained therapists who went through a master's program or a doctoral program and then did an internship and got their hours and got their license as much as like they've gone through maybe some structure it's actually not that hard to become a therapist I think people put anyone with a therapist title like on a pedestal which actually kind of really bothers me because it's not that difficult Mm -hmm. and I I can say that as someone who's been in leadership positions, who's had to fire people who have been in the field longer than I have, who have, um, you know, who have um, doctorates. And yeah. I, I have two master's degrees. I don't have a doctorate. I just, I decided against that um, and then took a detour into the world of consulting, which is a very, you know, different situation. But um, it's actually not that hard. And it's it's harder to do the work yourself and to oh. stand like we we keep coming back to this word integrity. It's harder to come back to your integrity and to um, just operating from an authentic, regulated place. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are so many therapists. I'll speak specifically to therapists, but this applies to coaches as well because we're all human who come from a place of dysregulation. Yeah. And when you haven't done your own work, the danger in that is projecting onto your clients right. and not being able to piece out what belongs to them versus what belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest disservice I think that we can do to our clients because we lead them down these paths yeah. that aren't authentic to them that aren't really looking from their perspective and so when you when you do this work you're able to separate what's my reaction versus what do I see coming from them yeah um so yeah just to just to go back to that piece of paper like I remember feeling so happy and proud when I got my license Mm -hmm. and then after a while being like I would do anything to give this up to go to this other world. I would give this up in a heartbeat. So Mm -hmm. I just renewed my license for the last time. I still have, you know, a few clients um, who I love dearly and care for so much, you know, in the traditional therapy field, but my soul is just, it belongs to a different world. Yeah, totally. And I, yeah, just everything you said, just so, so, so important. Um, And I think, yeah, just something that's kind of, coming up and just in the difference of our journeys too, is like this, this idea that you really have seen through that path, right? Like you've seen through the getting your license or renewing your license, the private practice. And like, your soul is still, because for therapists, that's like, okay, we've made it right. Like we're on psychology today. We have the license, (laughs) like we're, we're seeing the people like we've made it. And then you get to this place of like, I've made it. And your soul is still like, oh, wait, but I'm, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel aligned. Um, And yeah, for me, it was, it was this point of like, all I had to do was take my last test and then I would have had my full license. And, you know, I submitted my hours, like I did all the things and even just the idea of spending time, because at this point I had already started my business and I didn't know what that was going to look like in terms of, you know, okay, I'll just do both or I'll, you know, even in my business coaching program, they were teaching us how to separate it of like, you have your coaching and you have your 
therapy and the work that I was doing on myself, it didn't fit into either of those. And so I was like, I don't even know how I would separate this. And it just feels very rigid and confusing of like, well, what box do I fit in anymore? And I realized like, I don't, I don't fit into either of those boxes. It's, it's like its own little healing world um, bubble that's different. And so at this point, because I had already gotten a taste of this world of doing my own thing and, and really focusing on my own healing rather than focusing on like counting all of these, like very like subjective hours that like you know, some people would approve and other people wouldn't like, it's all just, it all feels like this made up game of like some board game where it's like, someone's like, yeah, these count and these don't. And and we put so much weight in it. And it's like, it's exactly what you said. The more important focus is, are you actually doing the work on yourself? Cause I could sit here and count hours all day, but if I'm not actually taking care of my own nervous system, all of those papers and hours, they're not actually going to do my clients any good. And so I was at this point where just the idea of, of taking time away from focusing on this business and this healing work to even study for this test. Like I, my friend had given me this whole bag of study materials and it was sitting in my closet for like months and months. And I was like, okay, like I just got to take this one last, I just got to do one. I'm so close. Just one. And it was literally like, I was dragging my, I was forcing myself. And it was during this yoga class. I just had this moment where I was like, why, why am I forcing myself for what, what I'm going to get licensed. And then what, I I don't want to do private practice anymore. Like I don't need this license for this business. So like, what is it all for? Just to say that I did it just to, just to say that I have the letters behind my name, like why? And I think something that's really important. You said earlier around some people won't take you seriously, you know, because you're in this world as opposed to that world. And that was something that I worried about too, of like, oh, will people, you know, be looking for the license, da, da, da. The thing that's so funny about all of it is literally, I don't think any of my clients know, know the difference. They don't know what, you know, LMSW, LCSW, like they don't, they have, unless you're in that world, I don't think anyone really knows. And so I have a client that just calls me her life coach. And I think it was a year into working together that she was like, oh, you're a therapist. (laughs) It's like, how did you, how did you not know that? And she's like, oh, I just call you my life coach. Like, and then I have another client where she was like, it was really important to me that I found someone who at least had that background and that training and that education, but also who's doing the work on themselves. And so yeah, I think it's just to say that like depending on what kind of work you want to do, like yes, be be ethical if there's certain um pieces of education that you think would be helpful in in how you want to serve, absolutely. I think it's I think it's just understanding that that education or that ex- life experience or whatever it is that you're using to then serve your people, it's like that is still so valuable, even without this, you know, what we envision is like that cherry on top license. Um, and even if you do decide, like you decided to get your, get your license, like, even if you do, it's, 
I think, again, it's just not, like you said, putting it on the pedestal and really just remembering, like, we internally have everything we need and trusting what feels aligned to do or to get or not to get. And just being able to have that discernment rather than like, for me, it was looking around and seeing all my friends getting their license and being like, oh shit, like maybe I should do it too. And it's like, just having the courage to do what actually feels authentic. And like you said, most people don't even feel safe to, to know what that is, let alone act on that. And that's why, you know, healing our nervous systems and doing this work, this soul level work is just so just the most important. Yeah. One of the pieces that we haven't spoken to directly, but I think is really important to address here is the power of mentorship Mm -hmm. and having someone to guide you because Mm -hmm. what used to happen, like to be a therapist used to be a much bigger deal. You had Mm -hmm. to go through a lot of schooling. You had to work with some, with a supervisor, a mentor who would train you and you would get feedback on sessions and you would talk about, you know, um, what's happening between you and your clients, um, you know, transference and counter transference, and you would have more guidance along the way, which right. in my humble opinion is something that we have lost. Mm-hmm. And it's something that has really been reflected in the quality of therapists that we have now, because mm-hmm. what has happened, especially with the pandemic is we had a large amount of people who were in school, wanted to go to school or who were in the very beginning of their careers who didn't have a chance to go through that kind of progression and get the mentorship generation or so I was lucky to have a lot of really strong mentors and am I still there yeah sorry my dad was calling and it it left the live so let me just put it on do not disturb hold on one sec no worries mine was freezing earlier so just checking okay all right I think we're good <laughs> cool um, yeah, I kind of, my brain just, uh, was scatterbrained and lost track. What I was saying? Oh yes. So, um, mentorship and mm-hmm. having, you know, guidance and supervision and that's been lost in mm-hmm. programs and in places where people are technically getting supervision, they have to meet, you know, for a certain amount of hours with the supervisor. But when we don't have quality supervisors, quality mentors training a lineage of therapists, we end up with people who, I've I've seen more and more frequently as someone who did a lot of hiring in my last role as a a clinical director, I was running a 127 bed hospital with hundreds Mm -hmm. of employees. Um, And so I saw this very frequently with our younger therapists Um, and they just kind of did whatever they thought was right. But that's very different from having like done your own work and Mm -hmm. been mentored by someone and then Mm -hmm. acting from there because there's such a high risk of, acting from a place of dysregulation and attachment woundings. And it's, I think it comes from a good place. People want to help, Mm -hmm. but the experience is very different. So I've actually seen a lot of people work with therapists who should not have been therapists or Mm -hmm. shouldn't have gotten a license or shouldn't have been in those positions and were harmed by that. And the same can go for coaches too. Like I said, you know, without the regulation, that is a risk, but I also don't think that the world of coaching should be regulated. You were right. talking about the the different, like not fix, fitting into a, a box of right. therapy or coaching. I personally am grateful that we have so many boxes mm-hmm. and I'm grateful that more and more people are creating them. Yeah. And I think it is up to 
um, us as recipients and consumers of these services to really like make sure that we are in alignment with the person we're working with that yeah. we know what they are what their modality is and mm -hmm. we know how they operate and that you're working with someone that has something that you want for yourself mm -hmm. instead of like oh this person tells me that I have to work with them and that I'm missing out if I don't like that's right. picky that's gross like yeah. that is bad run run <laughs> yeah that's big red flag yeah, I think you nailed it. It's like exactly what you said of does this person, is this person actually doing the work that I want to do? Are they living and feeling the way that I want to live and feel? And I think what you spoke about in terms of mentorship or lack thereof in the therapy world, I'll never forget. I So I had two really incredible internships during grad school like lucked out big time, uh, especially compared to some of my, my other peers. And my second year, I was at a college counseling center and my mentor and my supervisor, who I absolutely loved. And he was, he was truly the epitome of a mentor, like including me on, you know, all of the training and the learning that he was doing and just using any moment as like a teaching moment. And, um, it really was the first place. Like I learned more in that internship about trauma and attachment wounding and all of that than I ever did in an actual class. Cause our classes were more focused on narrative therapy, CBT, all these different evidence-based treatments. And he, I, I remember he told me during one supervision, he was like, you know, I want, I want to really prepare you for what the real field is like out there, because the way that you and I have this hour long supervision and really talking about your clients and like really in depth and like, um, getting into all of that, he was like, you're not going to necessarily have that <laughs> at least to the same extent. And he was like, you're probably going to have to just pick, you know, your top two things that you need support on. Cause you'll have like a quick 15 or 30 minutes and then your supervisor's going to have to leave. So, you know, he's telling me all this and I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. And I get into my first job out of grad school. I had zero, like 0% supervision. It was it was this program that no longer is in existence for very good reason, but um, our supervisor was not on site. And so she wasn't actually seeing like what we were experiencing. And anyway, it was, it was a whole big mess. And even just like jobs after that, the supervision was, yeah, it was really just about like, okay, when are your treatment plans due? Or like, it wasn't, it was all paperwork. It was all timing. It was all like, you know, adding more clients to the caseload. There, there wasn't space to just slow down and actually learn and process and like, yeah, really, really just what it was meant to be. Right. And, um, I think if I were to look back at supervisors and how their nervous systems were, I mean, whew, yeah, just, not people that I would look at and be like, oh, I want, I want my nervous system to feel like their nervous system. Like it was very clear that everyone was just operating in this survival mode, go, go, go all about the billing and the numbers and the, you know, turnovers. Like it was just like a, a hustle culture within this environment that's supposed to be healing. And it wasn't healing at all. Like, you know, I would do yeah. what was in my power to create some of that energy, like the first time I ever had my own office, cause I didn't have that in a lot of my jobs, you know, like creating that energy that I wanted in my office, but 
in terms of as soon as I would leave that office and then just, it was like a friggin' circus. And I'm like, this is supposed to be healing people. Like, no, <laughs> this is no, this is yeah. the opposite of that. So yeah, I think, you know, the, the mentorship that I received in grad school was, was so, so much the exception to, to anything that I had experienced when I was actually in the field. And I think exactly like you said of, because we don't have that, then these, these newer therapists or these younger therapists, or even the seasoned therapists are, are going in and projecting their shit and not understanding what's theirs and what's not theirs. And it just, it creates so much harm. And I very much experienced that of like, once you're kind of in that world, in, in the real world, like out of grad school, it's like, it feels like you're just thrown in. And on one hand, this whole idea of like, well, you got to just learn and and be thrown into it. And it's like, yes, to some extent. And also where is the, the mentorship that actually will allow me to make sure that I'm actually serving my clients rather than just kind of like throwing spaghetti on the wall and, and seeing like what works and what doesn't. Um, and so I think it's, it's important for therapists to understand that no matter how, like, for me, I was always going to traditional therapy, I was always trying to take care of myself. But no matter how much of that you're doing, when you're in a system in an environment that is so traumatized, and so broken, and so functioning in the survival mode, like your nervous system is inevitably going to be affected by that. Right. And so it just goes back to why is the focus and the importance not on these leaders and the mentors, and then passing that down to the therapist that they're mentoring, actually doing the work on themselves, because no one in my years of being in the field had ever asked me like, oh, have you healed that anxious attachment that you're probably projecting onto your clients? Have you healed those uh, anxious thoughts in your mind? Like, they didn't care about that. They just wanted me to see as many clients as possible. So, you know, I think, again, like, we have to, we have to practice what we preach and like, not just in a surface level way, but like being a therapist, being a healer, being a coach, it's a really big responsibility. Right. And we can't take that lightly. And so for me, like actually experiencing mentorship now means that I am taking it seriously. I'm, I'm investing in my healing every single month and making sure that I'm looking at my own shit so that I can be in integrity with the way that I'm working with people. It doesn't mean we don't fuck up. It doesn't mean we don't have transference sometimes. Like it doesn't mean that stuff doesn't come up. It just means that we actually have the the support and the guidance and the, yeah, the awareness to be able to look at it and say, oh, let me, let me actually look at my stuff. And that in and of itself can create such a reparative experience with your client of actually them seeing that you're human and that you can take responsibility and and look at what you're asking them to look at as well. And I think that just helps them feel safer and more confident in the work that you're doing together. Yeah. Oh, I have such an interesting like perspective on that, that I want to share with you because, um, as someone who had an eating disorder, like obviously one of the reasons I became a therapist was because I had my own struggles and I wanted to help people. I think a lot of people come into the field, you know, with a, yeah. their own version of that story, their, their own history of that. 
And I remember working at my internship when I was in grad school, my during my second master's was um, at an eating disorder center where we were allowed to and encouraged to disclose our history with an eating disorder and our experience, but done so in a very thoughtful way. It wasn't like share your deepest, darkest moments raw in a raw way with a client. It's really mm-hmm. asking yourself, are you doing it for them? Or are you doing it for you? And using kind of your history as a way to teach and empathize. And it was done in a pretty beautiful, skillful way. I really appreciated what I learned um, in that system. And then when I went to work at an eating disorder hospital, it was very different. It was a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy where it was you were not encouraged. In fact, you were explicitly discouraged mm. from sharing any personal information. Wow. And when I was, I, I worked in a very interesting setting where we were the only facility in Colorado and one of only a handful in the whole country that it, um, were able to hold patients involuntarily, patients who mm. were so gravely disabled and so, um, so um, ill that they needed they needed treatment and they they needed a court order in order to be there um which was a really hard thing to do it was really hard working with people who didn't want to get better and were legally not allowed to leave um but it was really fascinating because in that time that i was in that second system in the hospital system instead of seeing my history of being recovered like fully recovered from an eating disorder and body image issues Instead of seeing that as an asset, I be I became really shameful of it, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. And I had to do a lot of deconditioning in the last year once I left to figure out why, why was that the case? Mm-hmm. And it was because I worked in a toxic system where behind closed doors, unkind things were said about patients, mm-hmm. where there was this belief that if you had gone through it, there is no safe or ethical way to share it with a client. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really hard because I would have people ask me, you know, have you ever had an eating disorder? Have you ever had experience with this? And I would have to kind of skillfully navigate my way around it where I wouldn't say yes and I wouldn't say no, but I'd have to ask them the, well, what would it mean to you if if I did or if I didn't? And would that prevent my ability to help you? But I would often have clients be like, how do you know exactly what I'm thinking? Like, how do you know exactly what this is like? And yeah. I so badly wanted to say, because I've, I've been there and I, I don't understand exactly 100% what it's like for you and your life circumstance, but I get it enough, right. you know? And going into um, private practice, at least for this last year, was healing in some ways because most of my clients were like, I came to you because in your bio, it said Mm -hmm. you were were recovering from an eating disorder. Um, And like all of your other accomplishments were nice and everything, like good for you. But this is why I wanted to work with you. And that's the power of, I think, being in a, a healing position where you've done your work you can stand in integrity and say, I've committed to doing this so that I can show up authentically, but so that I can also separate my experience from yours and not use you to feed my ego or to use you to validate me and my unhealed shit. Totally. Yeah, totally. Oh, I mean, 
did they, I'm just curious, like, did they say why they didn't want you to share with your clients that you had, that you had recovered? So I never told anyone there that I had, but I had heard in one of our training videos, like the first week they do this, you know, they did a training video and they, in there it specifically said, um, we are, we are, we do not use disclosure or something like that as a therapeutic modality because we want to keep it about the patients. Mm. And it was interesting because we had a couple of therapists who came in who completely disregarded that. Yeah. And they were, and, and the reason why this is a very nuanced thing is that those people were also not fully, they weren't, they weren't fully recovered themselves. Mm. So they would talk a lot about their experience with their clients or with their patients, we use the term patients because it was a hospital, with their patients. And um, it was actually more damaging than helpful because those people would miss a lot of work. They wouldn't be consistent. They would be really kind of dysregulated themselves. They would right. be very reactive. They couldn't hold um, solid boundaries. They couldn't, you know, create a safe place for their patients. And so that's, that's where it gets tricky. That's where it's more about the individual than it yeah. is the, you know, their, whether they have a license or not, whether they have a master's degree or a PhD, whether they're an LPC or an LCSW or an LMFT right. or whatever it might be. But the system that I was in was very much. Oh, did I lose you? Oh, you froze. Oh, no. Okay. It's doing, it's doing the circle thing. Um, let's see if it comes back. Okay. Yes. There you are. You're back. Yep. Um, sorry about that. My connection. No, that's okay. All good. No, I think just thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's, it's just such an important Point. And I think that's where when you have really good supervisors and supervision, like then you can really take it on a case by case basis of, do you feel like you are in a place with your recovery to be able to disclose that in a way that's actually going to feel incredibly validating and, and nurturing and reparative for the client rather than just feeding your own need to feel less alone in it or validation or whatever the need that, you know, you're having in it. Because I mean, just in my own experience, like my clients share with me all the time, which is what I appreciate so much about just kind of being out of that world and, and into just creating our own is that learning just all the self-disclosure and, and doing it in a way where when they're going through something and me being able to say, oh, I literally, this is what I have done in my, in my own healing. Oh no. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh, okay. It froze and it did the circle thing again. So I just want to make sure you could still hear me. Yep. You're good. Okay. Um, so yeah, just really showing them like, this is what I have done and I walked the walk and that's why I genuinely know how you're feeling. And I, like I have been through it and I, it just allows me to guide them that much better. And and for them, they appreciate that so much more than whatever letters I have be, or don't have behind my name. Right. So I think it's just, yeah, it's, again, it goes back to 
It's not about these blanket rules or guidelines of don't do this or do this. I think it's teaching clinicians and therapists and our clients to really be able to use their own discernment and to trust themselves of, can I actually share this in a way that's going to be helpful versus am I just sharing this because it's on my mind or because I'm needing validation on it or something like that. Um, And then if that does happen, again, being able to have enough of that support and guidance and, and time focusing on your own stuff to be able to reflect on like, oh, maybe that was my own stuff coming up. And, and again, being able to have that repair with the client, I think is just so relational, right? Cause that's what happens in any human relationship. And that's what your role modeling for them is like, I'm human, I'm going to fuck up, but I can also take accountability of that and, um, role model how to do that with you. So yeah, yeah it's just, it's really interesting to hear like they thought that would be more harmful because I hear that I'm like, well, if I were in that client's position and that wasn't being disclosed, like I would feel like, well, you just, do you actually understand me? And and clearly they knew that you understood, right? But then you're like not saying it, but it's like, they know that you get it. <laughs> so yeah, and it was, it was such a crappy position to be in because yeah. When you feel something and you're like, I know that this person isn't being honest with me, mm-hmm. like we sense that and that totally. doesn't create a sense of trust or safety. And there were ca- certain cases that I had where even to this day, there were, there's one case in particular, you know, a patient that I think of often who I worked with for over a year in, in aggregate, probably about a year and a half over the course of my time there, who it would have been incredibly beneficial and therapeutically valuable for me to disclose that and to be in a position where it was like having to choose between my job Mm -hmm. and you know like my livelihood and telling this thing to a patient that was that was not my favorite thing you know it was really hard and so um there was definitely some forgiveness work that I had to do over choosing my job versus authenticity Mm -hmm. and I, I'm not too hard on myself about it because I needed to make a living and I yeah. needed some things, but it was also just, I, I wish that I would have been able to share that um, yeah. because it could have been really valuable for some of the folks that I was working with. And also one of the things that I think we're talking about here is just being able to own our imperfections and the difference between identifying as imperfect and broken. Mm -hmm. And this is going back to something that you had mentioned kind of at the beginning of our conversation that we have normalized as a society, depression and anxiety and, and all of these different things. And for me, as I've seen a decrease in mental, like stigma around mental illness over the past couple of years, I've also seen an increase in heavy identification with labels and yep. with those mental illnesses. <laughs> yeah. I am a depressed person. I have right. um, a mood disorder. Mm-hmm. I am traumatized. I am, and it has, I'm actually pretty concerned about it with like our younger generation because when I worked on yep. kiddo units, it was a, um, what's the word? It was a contagion effect mm-hmm. of one child's says one thing and then all of a sudden everybody else has that same issue right we're all of a sudden finding out about yeah and there's a heavy identification as being ill and being special because 
because someone identifies as ill. And I think we are both in the business of, even though the healing work that we do is, you know, a little bit different, I think we're both in the business of helping people understand that actually, you know, you're not broken and there might have been parts of your past that need healing and parts of you that need healing and tending to, but we are not in the business of staying in the healing world forever. We're really very much as our mentor at BRK says, like expanding, healing and expanding and moving into those higher iterations of ourselves as opposed to staying sick and stuck and calling that life and calling that normal. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think it's such a important representation of just those extremes that we go to, which is a form of dysregulation, right? Just like in a, on a whole societal level of either we're stigmatizing all of it. And like, we don't talk about this or, oh, now we're not stigmatizing at all. And so we're just going to attach onto all these labels and then use them to get our needs met. Right. Because especially with children, like that's a wound, the special wound that I've had to work through personally myself was because I was, I was sick as a kid. I got attention for that. I was made to feel special for that. And so then I have the special wound and it's the same thing with like, you know, think about teenagers who are, you know, talking about their ADHD and their depression and their, all the things I remember in eighth grade, you know, with, um, the girls in my grade where it started becoming trendy to like hurt yourself and cut yourself. And I'm like, oh my God. And it's like, even from an eighth grade point of view, I could feel like, oh, something about this just feels off. I like, I don't want to be friends with these girls. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's so harmful. And it's, it's understanding that we don't have to attach on to any of the things like, what is the point of destigmatizing these things to actually bring them to the light, not to then attach on and, and stay stuck in it, but to actually heal it and release it so that you can expand and create your life. So yeah, I think that's, it's just such an important part. And we really have to look at why that's being done, right? Like, again, going back to the root of if kids are being conditioned to attach onto that and not just kids, like adults do it all the damn time. What is the need that's being met, right? Like, how does it serve them in some way? And how can we look at that within ourselves and say, we don't actually need to be, for me, it's like, I don't need to be sick to be special. I can be special just because I am who I am. And it's, it's conditioning everyone to, to think that way where it's not your sickness or your anxiety or your thing that makes you this special person. It's just like, you are enough. You are special literally without all of that. And that is so powerful. And yeah, I think just going back to what you were saying around, um, yeah, just kind of these clients that you would look back and and be like, it would have been so helpful to self-disclose. I think that's also a really powerful example of, because I, not in that same example, but just, I can relate to that on so many levels of just this role that I felt like I was conditioned to be in versus who I actually am and who I wanted to be with clients, especially in my last therapy job, which was at the DBT center, because DBT is very, controlled and rigid and like these rules and you do this and you do that. And yeah, this, this like tension of 
I want to just be myself with clients and also I'm supposed to be following these rules and doing the things. And, and so I think it just speaks to this larger systematic issue where, yes, we want to have structure. We don't want, you know, people just not having any idea how to work. Like, yes, we want to, we want some type of structure, but we also want the freedom and the the mentorship to be able to have authentic relational healing experiences. Um, and, and just like you said, I, I don't want the coach. I'm so grateful that the coaching world is unregulated. And again, that then leaves it up to the individual person to take responsibility and not hold that lightly to hire the mentor, to make sure you're seeking support, to make sure that you have um, someone holding up a mirror to you and being like, what's, what's going on here? Because it's, you know, yeah, it, <laughs> this work can bring up a lot. So yeah, yeah I think it's just a combination of all of that, but yeah, just, I'm, I'm very grateful for it because as we both have experienced, I think better, better to err on the side of, of this and like needing to trust ourselves to, to hold that versus, feeling restricted and like you were put in that position of, you know, do I choose my job or uh, my authenticity? And it's like, we should never be put in that position. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons that I'm, like you said, also very grateful for the coaching field and grateful that it's not regulated. And again, it takes a lot of personal accountability and responsibility Mm -hmm. um, to hold that position. And you know, to practice ethically, you know, even in this capacity, but it also allows for more freedom, more soul work, more, um, like you said, relational healing in a way that can't always be done or won't always be done effectively in the traditional therapy field. And for me, God, just like kind of stepping away from all the CBT and DBT, like an act, like the skills are great, but I yeah. am so tired of that because <laughs> it is such a band-aid. Such and a band-aid. what I really love is working with people who, you know, kind of come to see that they're, uh, you know, at least for the, the group of clients that I take on, their depression, their anxiety, you know, isn't some kind of biochemical, you know, imbalance. It really comes from them living a life that's inauthentic yeah. and not feeling that they can be themselves having unhealed trauma. Mm-hmm. And when you get to that and you find that freedom, mm-hmm. life just is completely different. Totally. It's so different. And I feel like I've seen more people experience that freedom and differentness in this world than I, I really ever did in the traditional therapy fields. If totally. I'm being totally honest. Yeah, because I think it's set up for that, right? Like this world is literally created for anyone, no matter what your experience, your education, for anyone to come in and say, oh, I have this gift to offer. I have this medicine, this wisdom, whatever it is, we all have something to offer and being able to just have this like pure freedom to create offers that can can serve people that you want to serve. Like you don't find that freedom anywhere else. It's, it's truly incredible. Um, and again, that, that comes with this higher level of responsibility because you don't have the supervisor on top of you. Not, not really. Like I had that in the therapy world either. I was very much like just trusted to kind of do whatever. And, and, you know, if you need me, I'm here type of thing, but 
um, yeah, you don't have this like regulated board or these rules going into it, which can, can also feel overwhelming because for someone who's just starting an online business and you go into it and you're like, where do I even begin? Right? Like, Oh, what do I, what do I actually want this to look like? Like for me, I was very much coming from the therapy world where I was, I was still basically doing therapy without calling it that. Cause I wasn't technically uh, in the therapist role anymore. Um, but then I was being trained that coaching is, you know, looks like this. And so again, it was just this very in-between spot where I was like, I have no idea what this is going to look like, but I'm just going to start somewhere and then just trust that, you know, I'll get clear and clear. And, and that came from me doing my own work on myself, that clarity came through. So yeah, yeah it's just, it's a beautiful place to be in where we get to create our own our own worlds and, and you and I coming from that field and being able to create our own businesses doing, um, both healing things, but different, you know, versions of that healing, I, I just think is really powerful and, and exciting. So, um, and speaking of different healing, maybe before we wrap up, if you wanted to share any current offers that you have, or just so people understand a little bit more about, um, yeah, the healing that you do offer. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, the type of healing work that I do is more along the lines of depth psychology, archetypal psychology, ancient wisdom, goddess wisdom, goddess energy. Um, that's really the world that I love to play in and that I found the most healing. And I don't necessarily think it's the best first step for everyone. I think that the work that you do is a really great first step mm-hmm. for people who are kind of like new to a healing journey or really have like a lot of dysregulation. Um, and so I kind of consider this more like intermediate kind of healing, like you're mm-hmm. not super dysregulated, but you can dive a little bit deeper, you know, into yeah. shadow work, um, goddess healing, ancient wisdom, that sort of thing. So, um, right now I have the sacred year membership. Mm-hmm. It's a monthly membership where, and we're actually meeting on, what day is it? Today's Wednesday, right? Wednesday, so yeah. meeting on Friday. <laughs> for our November call this month. And this is a monthly um, membership where you get one live monthly call and Q&A and the lifestyle guide and journal prompts every month. And each month we're really diving into the essence or the energy of nature and the season Mm -hmm. of the year. So I also work a lot with nature healing and understanding our lives as reflections of nature. So the cycles Mm -hmm. of our lives instead of this masculine linear trajectory of like life is always only better and better and better and nothing bad should ever happen right it does you have fucked up like that's just a narrative that does not serve us and so understanding ourselves as cyclical beings um it's membership that's exclusive to women so this friday we're going to be talking about ayurveda and huga and it's the month of coziness and Mm. it's going to be a lot of fun um, I am also in my Centered program. So Centered is a new container that I started, which is a six-week program. I'm going to reformulate it. So next year, it's going to be a little bit different. So um, if anyone is interested on um, about Centered, you can like leave a comment below or send me a DM so you can get on the wait list. But that is a program that really focuses on being coming home to yourself. I know you have a program that's also different, but titled similarly. Um, And so for me, Centered is really about engaging with the goddess Hestia, who's the goddess Mm -hmm. of the home and the hearth, and really coming back to our core in 
the context of this goddess goddess wisdom and ancient wisdom so mm -hmm. i'm um, running my first um kind of like group of centered women and um i'll like i said be reformulating that for next year mm -hmm. so um would love for anyone who's interested to drop me a line let me know would love to chat yeah oh that's and so what exciting you, rachel what are ways that mm -hmm. uh, my folks can learn about you and and work with you yeah absolutely so um like you said, my, my group come home to yourself is now open. It's for anxiously attached women. So really wanting to build secure attachment and process those childhood wounds, those attachment wounds, and yeah, just relate differently. <laughs> um, and then for men, we have my co-leader, Anna and I have our group real men heal open for enrollment. This is a three month men's group healing program. So we have um, nine different modules that we guide you through of learning all about inner child healing, nervous system healing, attachment wound healing, and how it relates to everything, money, business, love, life, relationships, all the things. Um, and then I also have my Beyond Your Wildest Dreams membership open. So going to have um, a November masterclass, a Q&A, journal prompts, Facebook community group, just a way to connect and, you know, like we talked about, not just do the healing, but really taking action towards creating the life that is in alignment so that we can, the more that we move towards a life that is actually authentic and aligned, the less you're going to experience those anxious symptoms, those depressive symptoms. It's just life gets to be so much better. So yeah, those are my, my three main ways right now. And I love your offers, like just, you know, I'm not familiar at all with like the goddesses and all that. So when I hear you talk about, it, I'm like, oh, this sounds like so cool and just fascinating because we are, yeah, we are supposed to be in tune with nature and, and those cycles. So I'm really grateful that you're, you're offering that to people because it's really important. Thank you so much. I yeah. so can I give a shout out to Anna? Like, yes. Your co-leader, co Anna, because yeah. Anna a very funny story where we went to the same uh master's program I was yeah. a few years ahead of her mm -hmm. and then it was so wild to reconnect through yeah. our all of our shared mentor and um find someone who knew you know exactly like what pro we had the same professor same program and knew what it was like to kind of transition into this world so yeah Anna, if you watch this hello Yay. And, uh, I, I love you <laughs> I love you too, Anna. Yeah, it's funny because you guys reconnected from going to school. And then Anna and I also went to just freshman year college Spanish class together and then reconnected over Instagram. So it's like just the most small world, but I love it so much. <laughs> I love it too. Yeah. Well, Rachel, well, this has been such a delight. Thank yes. you so much for having me of and course. for the work that you do in the world. I'm so grateful that we connected, you know, in yeah. this space as well. And this has been a really long time coming. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really grateful we have the chance to do this. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for being on here. This has been so lovely. And I know that we'll have to, we'll have to do it again. We can talk about this stuff forever. So thank you for, for being here. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Take All right. care. You too. Have a good day. Thanks for joining you everyone. Too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.